joke i want to is it about mario yeah yeah yo so mario is like uh you know wahoo and but luigi is more like wahoo <laughs> what? Is, that, is that a joke you guys like did, it i don't get did it did you finish it did you gotta finish yeah, it that's or? it what's the joke mario i mean mario is a lot more like wahoo but then luigi's like wahoo <laughs> That's like a Tim Heidecker stand-up joke. Is there a yeah. joke there that I don't get? Just be, don't be afraid to say that you're too stupid to get. <laughs> I, I, well, I was like, my brain was going to like fish. I'm like, is there a joke about like wa- like wahoos, like fish? That's a type of fish, right? A wahoo? Yeah, I think wahoo is a type of fish. Are you thinking? You're thinking of mahi, mahi. mahi. <laughs> I could be. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a fish, dude. It's a, it's a fucking fish. Look it up. Show me. Oh, I swear wow. to God, wow. Yeah, I was right. Why do you know <laughs> that? I, well, that because sounds I, like the name of a fish that someone would make when they were excited that, that they caught a new fish. <laughs> I know, I know. That has to be the first fish anyone caught. I know. Because that's, they said that first. <laughs> they said, wow. <laughs> wait, it's where why, the fuck is... That's wait, why wait. deers are named deer, because someone killed one and felt bad, and it's, oh, deer. Oh dear, I've done I've oh, done it I now. Thing. I took a I'm life. in trouble. Oh god. First my wife and now a deer. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Whoa. Take my deer, please. Oh. Wait, why do you know what a wahoo is? Well, because I here's a little spinecracker's lore for the for the upcoming trivia quiz. Yeah. Uh, because in another life I was the manager of a very fancy seafood restaurant. I didn't Ooh. know it was seafood. I knew you. Were yeah, like, it was a fancy place. Yeah. but I thought you were like the um, the beverage procurer. No, no, nope. That but you were also sense. that in some other job, right? Or, or was that just sort of like a uh, random extra task that you took on? I mean, I signed for a lot of the beverage deliveries, but I wasn't like. I mean, I would I would help because I like beer. I would help like pick beers with the. The beverage director, but that was a separate, a separate guy. Maybe that's all I'm thinking of. I, I guess I just assumed you were beverage director. I'm, I'm the beverage director of my life. But <laughs> <laughs> Me too, and but so I is never, everyone, really. Never, never, never did it professionally. How do you get that gig? That Be- sounds kind of nice. Beverage director? Yeah, beverage director. You gotta. You probably ha- You kind of have to have um for fancy restaurants at least, unless it's like a dedicated beer place or. Maybe even a cocktail, like a cocktail bar. You gotta, you, know, you have to be a sommelier. You have to be certified, pretty much. And is that certification wine, wine stuff? So through wine, you get to be able to be beverage director, which includes all potable yeah, alcoholic. Pretty much, drinks. it's kind of stupid because I mean, at the high, at high levels of the 
restaurant industry, wine is still king pretty much. And so they value that skill or talent or whatever you want to call it more than, you know, cocktails are still important for sure. But, you know, no one gives a shit if you know anything about beer. That's changing a little bit, thank God. But It must be because beer is such a, like, inelastically in-demand, like, thing that sustains so many local economies. I have thought every fucking six months for the last 10 years that, all right, we have enough breweries. Like, the the economy cannot (laughs) sustain any more breweries than there are. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, 10 more breweries opening in this town of, like, 3,000 people. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. It's crazy. I know. It, the, I've it noticed seems that, too. the market feels fucking inexhaustible. Well, as they say, you know, like... But uh, maybe it's a bubble. I don't know. I don't even know what a bubble is, dude. Economics. But it's not... I don't think it really is, though, because you, you just don't hear about these crashes. It's not speculative. It's like... Yeah. If a, I've seen breweries tank For sure. and like go away, but I've also there still is what you described like there's ten microbreweries in a town, yeah, of of some small proportion, and they all seem to somehow get the slice of the pie that's necessary yeah. to like be profitable. Even. Yep. It's, yeah, it's weird. People be drinking. People drink. <laughs> Maybe it's just a sign that like. Once again, you know, like, wh- wherever, no matter where you are, it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, people the be sad. Just, people are just, like, weeping into their, like, new, like, hype, hazy IPA. <laughs> <laughs> just tears extinguishing flames inside of, like, fucking uh, mason jars. Um, uh, can I get two four-packs? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade one of them with a guy in... In New York City. Do you guys do fucking growler <laughs> refills? <laughs> no, dude, growlers are out. That's one that was one thing that definitely was a bubble was growler shops. Growlers are dead. No way, really? Like yeah. legitimate just one off only growlers at this place type shops? Like yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or and even even like just that being like a big part of any breweries or beer shop business, pretty much. Growler, growlers are basically dead, for good and for good reason. They're it was a stupid idea in the first place. I don't know if I agree. I, I had some nice. Yeah, I have. I have one. I have a bunch, but it was because I. I haven't used mine in seven months. Yeah, but I have one. I mean, the problem with growlers is that unless. Unless you drink the beer, like all of it right away, it, it goes bad. It sucks. Like it just, yeah, there, yeah. and there's not, there's no way to stop it. Like yeah. you can't, it doesn't, it's just not, it's just you not two the, days. It's just not the same as canning or even doing a crowler, which some places still do. But, um, it, and, and, and it's, and those big glass jars, like there's a reason most good beer these days is not sold in glass bottles. That's not good for the beer generally. Uh, Light getting in there and all that shit. Hmm. So. Anyway, that's your little fucking lesson for the day, people. So if you could pick up the context clues, you would know that what we are going to talk about <laughs> is, is, a a George, is a George Simenon book uh, chosen by Paul, right? George. Yes. 
So uh, why don't you take us away, Paul? Why don't you just say what it is and why you chose it and whatever? So this is a book that I oh, chose. Hey, guys, by the way, this is the uh, Spinecrackers podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, Spine, Spinecrackers pod. I'm Matt. I'm and, Gabe. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Right. Follow our social medias, Instagram. We have a Patreon. I just put up a bunch of videos of me unboxing books for my move uh, on the Patreon. So. Oh, wow. I'm excited to watch that. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Cool. If Well, you guys don't know anything. We post anywhere. So. <laughs> I live in a bubble. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Take uh, it yeah. away. So I chose Take this book <laughs> by George Simenon. It's a George Simenon book, and it's called The Cat. Um, it was written in 1967. It's one of his later novels. I think it's like post the 200 mark. Um, but yeah, I read. I actually read this book like a year ago or so, and I just thought it was super interesting and super different than what I know about Simonon. And I thought it would be good for the podcast to maybe talk about Simonon in, uh, from a different light. Um, so yeah. Read how do you again. think this, how do you think this veers from what he normally does? I mean, I can't be totally sh- certain cause I haven't, I've only read like what, like four or five of his novels, but, I'm just kind of guessing. Maybe Gabe can fill in the gaps a little bit more, but I'm kind of assuming that this is a little, like, a little bit of a a difference from the majority of what he's what he wrote. Uh, but yeah, Gabe, you've yeah. read more. I mean, I, yeah, I would say. I mean, it's similar and different. I think you know, it's it's different in the sense that the bulk of his novels, or a large chunk of his novels, were the the Magre stories, the detective novels. Um, and then the ones that weren't that are sort of more, um, the, the, the Roman Dur, they're called the, the hard novels are the sort of right. non detective, um, basically the non detective novels. And th- this one is not usually grouped in with the more well-known ones from that group, because those usually still involve some sort of crime or some sort of. Uh, violence or, or some sort of more, you know, like traumatic precipitating event, like, a, you know, a death or, or, or you know, whatever. Um, so it's, it's different in that sense. But, you know, I think, I mean, when we'll get into it, but stylistically and sort of thematically, I think this is definitely in, in line with a lot of the other stuff that he did. But it is different in the sense that it really, you know, it's about, it's about a marriage and it's, you know, a little bit more, um, not that his stories are, are, are intimate. There's a number of them are, but it's very, very like small scale, if that makes sense. And I think a major difference in, from what I've read of his so far is that this one came across as a bit more humorous too. It was like dark humor. I don't know if you guys thought it was, but I was like laughing a lot, especially on my second read through. Yeah, I, I actually because I'm I'm coming from a place where I've now only read this, which makes three. Uh, one of those being the widow. What was the third one, Matt? This one. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, okay, besides this and the widow, I mean, Dirty Snow. Oh, Dirty Snow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. I've not read a single McGray book. Um, Damn. But I mean, I'm sold on like I love I love. Simenon. Uh, it's but, my favorite writer. But like, um, 
already, you know, just based on those that small, tiny little sample size of his large output, uh, it I was like, okay, this is there's a widow. The widow is a uh, already sort of like something that I have as reference, and it it, it feels. There's a lot of like similarities there, you know. Mm-hmm. Like a guy, you know, and there there is also a death precipitating, technically precipitating yeah, the true. events. That's true. And there are deaths that are brought up. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're just not. Uh, there's human. trauma in there. There's yeah. Oh, I mean, sure. maybe we should walk through a little bit of the general plot. Do it. Um, That's on you, maybe. man. That's on you, man. Basically, <clears throat> the uh, the novel is about this guy named what was his name? Emil. What was his? La- How do you pronounce his last name? Boyin. Uh, don't ask me. Boyin. 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 B o u i n e. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's in his early mid seventies. Early. 70s. And he's in a relationship with a older woman, also in her seventies, named Marguerite. Mm-hmm. Marguerite. And um, the novel begins with uh, basically stating that these two people have been married for a number of years and they only communicate through sending notes to each other, flicking notes at each other. Um, and then it kind of flashes back into the past and you discover why exactly they stopped talking. Uh, and it's basically because Emil thinks that Marguerite poisoned his cat so there you get the, the title of the of the novel um but yeah then it that you just obviously find out through reading it that they just basically despise each other they don't obviously they don't speak and they just you know it, it's a lot to do with just like uh i don't know a bad marriage um but we can get into further plot points as we go along but yeah yeah that's I mean, the general the, outline right yeah it's about a it's about a couple that hates each other basically uh yeah. and yeah yeah the the sort of precipitating event of that and there was tension in the marriage before this that we can talk about uh because i think a lot of the the tension in the marriage from the beginning is really interesting before the cat event um mm-hmm. but yeah he he assumes that she poisoned his cat for various reasons and then in retaliation uh kills her bird basically kills her parrot yeah he Um, plucks he plucks the feathers out of her parrot and then puts them in a a flower vase which is just a grisly little detail yeah what's also interesting is that uh he incidentally does kill her parrot we aren't ever sure that she killed his cat yeah. Right. Exactly. I think that's important. And this she sort of she called... sort of uh, obliquely denies it towards the end. She she never explicitly denies it, but she kind of makes it like refers to him as an idiot for just assuming that she poisoned the cat. True, and it, I feel like it's an important to focus on that because otherwise, you know, this book <laughs> a little bit like you know the the, the guy Emil f- just feels like a victim of sort of tyrannical uptightness uh, and judgment by women. Um, so I don't know. I think it's important that, like, he may be wrong, even in, in, in just this, like, particular thing. 
either way, their marriage is terrible. Yeah. For, for a lot of what I thought were really um, kind of subtle and interesting reasons, like there's a, there's a class dynamic at play that, yeah, I think I mean, is, yeah. that I think is really interesting. Emil, his background is, is very you know, working class. His father was a, a mason and he worked in construction um, before he retired. Uh, and Marguerite comes from a, a wealthy family her grandfather uh, owned a, founded and owned a large, um, basically cookie biscuit making factory, biscuit company. Yeah. Dois biscuits. Dois. Dois. I want to say Dois. Dois. We say Illinois. <laughs> Dois. No, we don't. Who says Illinois? <laughs> Sufjan yeah. Stevens. Yeah, Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, and they, the house that they live in is on a street that Marguerite's family essentially owns the entirety of. They're sort of, they, they kind of parlayed their biscuit factory success into real estate. And uh, it's named after her father or her grandfather. I forget. Um, but it's her named father, after her family. Yeah, I think it's named after her father, um, Sebastian, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, she's this, she collects rent from everyone. And then one of the sort of subplots in the book is the development of uh, her kind of family's uh, uh, business ventures and having to ultimately sell half of the street, houses on the other half of the other side of the street for new um, apartment buildings. And there's this kind of background in the story of the, the, those homes being demolished and the people leaving and the sort of, you know, uh, hubbub of that and the, the, the sort of discussion around the neighborhood of what, what are they going to put there and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, I thought that it was interesting that Emil was in the construction industry and that there's this, like, mm-hmm. you know, underlying dissonance of frustration by the two of them when all of this like demolition starts happening and towards the end of the book, the block across the street is basically entirely wiped out. Yeah, um, and that's, that's when all the, sh- that's when the most, you know, pertinent shit goes down too. like very similar to the widow. The last couple of pages is when a lot of the action happens, but I, I don't know what you guys thought of the, uh, of the construction and the demolition in terms of a theme I, I actually just thought it was mostly towards, like, maybe out with the old and with the new, like, old people just get the fuck out of here type deal. Like, whatever you're doing in your weird, you know, early century relationship is just not working. And you're yeah. trying to get out of it, and it's still just not happening for you. So you're going to get destroyed. Old people BTFO. Yeah, yeah. It's It has some... Um have you guys ever seen uh, Make Way for Tomorrow? The Leo McCary movie. It's from like the 30s. It's it's uh, has some similar mm-hmm. themes. It's about an old couple uh, who are... The, the, the conflict is not between the, the couple, but it's between them and their children who, you know, essentially fail and refuse to take care of them in various ways. Um, and it's just sort of about... It, one of the fucking saddest movies ever, so... Uh, well, I'd watch <laughs> it if we can. But it has similar themes about sort of like 
you know, the, the, the obsolescence of a certain type of relationship or a certain way of being and, and having to, uh, you know, yeah, get the fuck out of the way. Because Marguerite, you know, she had to watch her father, I suppose, you know, kind of parlay some of this business into, like, I, I forget what happened. Did she have a brother? It's already it's already fading from my memory, but like so uh, well, the, the 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 bitterness for Marguerite comes from her her father hired basically an assistant, and then was going bankrupt and essentially had to sell the business to his assistant who's the Salonev the Salonev yeah exactly Salonevs Salonev I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, uh, yeah, and so she basically views them as having swindled her father out of his business. Yes, and the dad, but I, I forget if the dad or the or or uh, a brother of some sort or his son uh, was at fault for. This is what I'm forgetting, and I feel like it's key, and I'm pissed at myself. Um, I forgot it too. But that 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 and that inflection point where they just lose a chunk of their their wealth is is from somebody mismanaging something, somebody not being able to uh, like. <laughs> successfully have negotiated something so the Solonevs come in uh you know initially they're super like deferential to the dad or whatever and they're like oh Dwap biscuits and this whole legacy i i appreciate it and then ultimately you know they're they're there for the cash and they uh they sell the real estate that i believe the factory was on um of which marguerite also owns a piece, but only half by the time we start like hearing the story. Um, and so she's literally rented in two, rent in two at the end of the book. And uh, her whole like, I don't know, it's, in- it's very interesting. Her whole like symbolic existence is there to be super conservative and staid and ritualistic and like, right? Like, she seems like such a villain, but I think she's very tragic. Um, Absolutely. If, if not hyper aristocratic, where she's like, I'm just trying to maintain the old order until I die. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> I just, you know, and she's very, I, she's I very, her. she's very Catholic, right? She's very religious. I didn't Did like her. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, a, yeah. But that's yeah. the reason they're still married after, even after all the stuff and they hate each other and they don't even speak, but it's, she, she says, you know, she uses Catholicism to be like, "You're in my." Sorry, yeah, yeah, right. Well, and like, I kind of that's feel her like thing. Is like Catholicism doesn't allow divorce, so I can't divorce you, but uh, don't fucking speak to me ever again. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, in a way, well, it's I think, like uh, I just think it's it's crucial to probably point out too that they're both widowers, right? Yes, yes. They yes, both had both remarried. They both had, well, they're, they're, or one's, one's a widow, a widow yeah, one's yeah. a widower. <laughs> yeah, um, and they both talk about their former spouses in a loving light i would say like uh what was emile's ex name Angel. Angele. Angel. nelly's Angele. the girl from the bar yeah yes. nelly is the yeah. yes who's another fascinating character yeah probably my favorite character of the of the book but and then I what forget, was marguerite's i forget marguerite's or something like that it's that's like, his so, last name so I think. chardonnay he, <laughs> yeah he really does have a name like that though he's like Chardonnay. Again, I, I think it might be Chanois with an N. I do think that Marguerite Sh- is, like, even by uh, Simonon's intention, 
like just less likable. Um, mm. And and even even when it boils down to like her her ex husband or her dead husband, I rather I guess her late husband, um, former. He was uh you know because he was like a, a the embodiment of like the the genteel artiste like he was a musician and I, he played some sort of in- piano and he was like, like a violinist at the opera violinist yeah, yeah and he, yeah and uh, everything was very like regal and elegant and uh yeah they both cling to a different dead spouse and for very different reasons very right diff- exactly because exactly for marguerite I'm just gonna call him Shamwah because I can't until someone finds his name in the text. I'm just calling him Shamwah. Shamwah, you might as well. Shamwah. 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 Yeah. So, Shamwah. so Billy <laughs> Mays. So her, so her late husband Billy Mays. Um, <laughs> I know he didn't even sell Shamwahs, but anyway. Um, so he, you know, for Marguerite, he's like the ideal sort of of like aristocratic, like you said, Matt, aristocratic life and kind of like the perfect match for her. This like wealthy young girl and blah 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 blah. And for Emile, Angel was a good match for him because she was kind of wild and like they, you know, he talks a lot in the book about how they didn't have a routine, like they didn't eat dinner at a set time. And if there wasn't any dinner, they would just go out and get drunk and sleep in. And, you know, he kind of like idolizes that sort of lifestyle in comparison to um, Marguerite's very kind of buttoned up traditional we sit down together and eat even if we're not speaking and fucking like all this, all this um, kind of pomp and circumstance of daily life. Neither of them had children. I think that's important to the story too. Like yes. there's no, there's no outside influence, outside influence in the form of like another person <laughs> on either yeah. of their sides to come in and be like, yo, this is so weird. What, where you're at now, both of you, you know, so and the only, that. the only time an, another person really, meaningfully enters their relationship so there's people on the on the outside so there's nelly who we'll talk about and then um nelly Furtado. yeah but yep. uh mrs martin martin right yep. uh yeah is really brought in to the relationship towards the end of the book as a weapon with by marguerite to you know under the pretense of oh this is my friend i'm just having her over for tea but like as a way to kind of talk to Emil without talking to him because she just talks about him while he's in the room sitting there <laughs> yeah. to her friend. And then he like, he's like sitting there fuming and he's yeah. like, if I get up and walk away, I, I lose. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right, well, they, sh- he refers to it as the game. Yep. It's also, yeah. you know, uh, the game with uh, Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> It and is. it's also it's marriage story Adam Driver. It's yeah. also marriage story Adam Driver. It's also uh, French lot the Lockhorns, basically. <laughs> Holy shit! It really is the French Lockhorns. It's just French Lockhorns. That is so good. Yes. Oh, that's gonna be the meme for y'all listening. That's gonna be. <laughs> that's gonna be the meme. They actually made this. They made this into a movie actually called La Chat. I looked. I haven't Did seen they, it, but for I real? It up. But yeah, someone made a movie about this in I think the seventies. Yeah, it's called. So Murder it's kind of like Adam Shatt. Driver. <laughs> Adam Driver, famous from the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, now we're getting we're getting deep there. Um, 
I mean, I think that on that point, Matt, about like the game and the way they like flick notes back and forth and the like, I, I, I thought that it was so subtle and well done in, in just articulating those like small moments of like bitter competitiveness in bad relationships and like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's very like, despite the fact that it's about fucking 70 plus year old French people in the sixties or whatever that, you know, it's right. super, I felt like it was very hashtag relatable. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it, like super, I mean, passive super aggression to like hit on the fucking nose, <laughs> the way people get in bad relationships. Like I've seen it, I've done it and it's, it's, it's so just pointed and sharp. Yeah. But not even bad, not even bad. Like, I feel like you would be able to relate to this, the sense because they've been doing it for years and that's, what's unrelatable. But like just getting into a huge fucking fight and that like hypersensitivity after the fact to every micro movement of the other person within the small space, usually that you're living and all this kind of stuff. Like, I think that's something that even very, very young people can can vibe with and understand, you know, like people totally. trying to like, you know, you're in something that's like semi long term and you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. You're kind of almost like spying on the person you're with. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they, they, they follow each other when they go shopping. But then they, they, but it's under the pretense of like they shop separately and they buy separate shit. And there's there's a great moment early on in the book when they're both going out shopping and they're sort of like trying to like one up each other with like the coolness and expensiveness of the stuff they're buying at the butcher shop. <laughs> they're shopping symbolically. They're they're yeah, doing chores like symbolically. So it's good. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was so funny. And I just like, I don't know. I mean, just him frying onions and just being like, yeah, I eat onions like whenever. <laughs> <laughs> I also really like, like, you're like, a brute. You're an animal. Yeah. I really like the, uh, the instances where other people around the town too, like were able to comment on their relationship too. <laughs> They're just like, what the fuck is wrong with these, these two people? What the hell? They're just so yeah. fucked up. No one's supposed to like really think that they have a good thing going. It's a it's it is I mean, I don't know if all of us agree, but I, I would say it's a pretty sick situation all around. Like who the fuck wants to be in that status at seventy two or whatever? I mean That's was... what makes it that much darker to me anyway, is like there there's a lot of elements of and a lot of scenes of the display of aging and writing about aging and mm -hmm. looking at your body and really sad segments where Emil's talking about how he like still feels like he's way younger, but when he, how looks old is Simonon at this point? So this was in what? 67, 67, 66, 67. Um, yeah. So Simonon died in the mid eighties, I think. So he would have been, he was old. He died when he was 86. Yeah. So, the, you know, he would have been he around the, the same age, a little younger than the characters in the book in his late sixties, probably. Yeah. And he's a, you know, I think he's well-renowned for being someone who didn't really... Did he have a long-term marriage ever? He was kind of yeah, like Yeah, he a, was actually pretty wholesome in his personal life. Really? I thought that he was like a... I think. Sex addict. Bruges. Maybe I just I don't know. totally 
I thought we talked. I about that I also thought we talked about that too. Where maybe he was maybe early. He definitely was like. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking jet that. setting, but I don't know if he was. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm fucked up there. All I'm trying to get at is you know the very simple idea of like. The. You know, this, th- someone thinking about these ideas and putting them down to pen- paper, you know? like. Just oh, yeah, like, no, I fucked up, dude. He fucked. He definitely fucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I thought he was, like, pretty... Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty tripping. Evidence. I don't know who I was thinking of. I should know that. That's embarrassing. Cut it. He's your favorite, <laughs> no. he's your favorite actor. I mean, Ar- Arthur. He's your favorite yeah. Arthur. He's my, you know, my favorite Arthur is my uncle. Oh, that's oh, that's wholesome now too. And and his name? Arthur. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it feel I mean, once again it feels uh, to me I would say very French. I actually thought of um and not just because it's French, but yes because it's French, Huelbeck. I I, Boo. I was Boo. Why, why you got to bring him into well. this? Dog, I was thinking because you'll like the turn. Like his his whole career, uh, Simonons, and like his his output so far, seems to me to be a better expression of the anxieties that Welbeck also expresses. And 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 I was thinking about it in particular with this, um, because uh, you know you've got this working class guy, and then you've got this uh, wife who has this kind of like faux Catholicism that she uses to bind this person into uh, a perversion of the sacrament of marriage. You know, it's like this kind of like perverted Catholicism. Uh, And then especially with the like construction scenes and stuff at the end, uh, there's all these kind of weird references to the fact that there's a lot of different nationalities and ethnicities coming in to work and demolish uh, the uh, sort of claim of this aristocratic French heiress kind of person, and I, I don't know. I was just I, I and including you know there's a there's a line, and I actually w- I didn't underline a ton in the book, and I wish I did. But there's there's a one moment where he goes in particular the Turk, and he's talking about you know obviously uh, Arabs coming into the land and stuff mm-hmm. like in '66 or '67, and I was just like okay like that that's a precursor, and I feel like. Uh, a bit of a critique, critique of the direction that Huelbeck's going to comment on uh, a little over a decade later. Yeah, I think it, that's, that's interesting, and I think that it's like... Uh, yeah, I'll, first of all, this is also the, the only book we've read so far that I didn't underline anything in, but it's not because I didn't have anything to underline. It's because my copy is fancy, and Paul gave it to me, and it's worth like 60 bucks, so I didn't want to write yeah. it. Oh, wow, I forgot that that's yeah. what happened. So I didn't want to write in it, so I have notes. I actually took notes on a separate fucking sheet of paper. Oh, nice. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see this sort of, and it's not like a major plot point in the book, but it does come up a couple times, um, and I think that you're, you're right in the sense, it's interesting to see this sort of like full circle of you know, him sort of noting this change in the accents of the workers and like the way they talk and blah, 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 as a sort of, to get back to Paul's earlier point, like, you know, move out of the way. Like the, the new, the new shit is, 
Yeah, know, the, like the as, new, as they destroy a part of Paris, the new people just dropped. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And and then to think about someone like Paulbeck, who's like, oh, you know, reject fucking modernity, embrace tradition, or whatever. And I think you're right, Matt. That was that like, this is a sort of a more subtle take of at least the early end of that kind of development, that sort of lineage. <coughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was gonna say that like. I don't want to compare Simonon to Welbeck anymore because I don't know. I just hate him so much, but one great difference is that Welbeck seems to try to do so much in such a massive satirical way, at least in the book that we read submission, but Simonon tends to be able to say more without really even having that in mind or having that to be the point. It, it always comes down to, yeah. characters i would say for simonon but he's so smart and so good and so observant of his environment that he's able to bring these subjects in as subplots and they are so much more effective that's what i was getting at too Paul. i think like my point was that the kind of heavy-handedness of Huelbeck, and i don't even hate <laughs> Huelbeck that much what? I don't like submission. I'm soy. I'm soy uh, facing right now. Yeah, we're both soy facing. Should have bought another light. Brought another white claw. Oh shit! <laughs> but I agree that Simonon is like. My point was that Huelbeck is drawing from from a very like French tr- tradition of which Simonon is a part. And I think Simonon is like so much more superior to him and his ability to, even if it's like him addressing concerns, con- like somewhat contemporary concerns now, like that, that uh, you would think are stupid. Like uh, he just does it with this lighter touch that is therefore somehow more impactful as well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. uh, like his his, uh, his ability to just flow. Everything seems so seems done with ease. To the to, even to the like right like because didn't Simonon like write like while he was just like in a hotel in some other part of the world too and stuff like just con- thinking about different streets in Paris and shit like yep. it's super impressive that uh, he was still able to evoke. This very like, kind of like French existential dread, um, more subtly even being away, and I, I don't know. It, I, it's supposed to be praise that I'm doing. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I think like on that last point that you were making, Matt. Like I've said, you know, in our discussion on Dirty Snow and when we read uh, The Widow, which we didn't record, so it's a lost episode for all you uh, completionists out there secret lore never find it secret lore um he is you know for me one of the like most talented writers at evoking like place that that i've ever read and it's so he's like so simple he's such a simple writer and so straightforward but i you just like this book takes place in paris right which is this huge complex like whatever city but he makes it feel so small and so intimate, like to this street and these shops and these row houses. And you, you feel 
like all of the, all of that so in such detail and so intimately and it is very like French and very like existential but it's so evocative just on a on a sort of base level to me yeah I agree you can you can almost smell the baguettes and see the berets <laughs> <laughs> and smell the cigarettes yeah yeah French people stay smoking I did want to say Dude. that I read a snippet of an interview of Simonon about this book, and he said that uh, he wrote it in two weeks. Um, Fucking crazy. Legend. Absolute so legend. crazy. The, the, the absolute madman. I mean, and truly. He also said that it was um, mostly about the memories of his relationship with his mom. That was his relationship. That was like what, how, how he described Emile and Marguerite's relationship. Which I thought was huh. really interesting, and also points to a little bit of just like psycho psychoanaly- psychoanalyzing him a little bit and thinking about like how he views women. Not necessarily that he feels the same way about women that Emil does, but. But and of course, I mean, Emil's life is kind of shaped by his relationship with women in general, right? Like, yeah, he sort of has, you know, his relationship with his own mother is very important to him. Uh, or in his, and specifically his memories of his mother, his relationship with his first wife, his mm-hmm. relationship with Marguerite, and those all kind of like shape his behavior and his attitudes and kind of, you know, control his life, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he regards himself as, I think, kind of like a salt of the earth, it's very more, Freudian uh, in that way. Yes. Yeah, I actually kind of forget what, what what was some of the stuff he said about his mother. I I mean, I remember the Angel stuff, but This is where I wish I I had dog-eared this fancy book. I do remember that his mother died in a very similar way to spoilers how Marguerite dies. Yeah, he finds he her sprawled out. Right, he finds yeah. his mother dead just like in the kitchen or something. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Dirty Snow does this too with like the mom and him collecting the uh, tossed out laundry yes. scraps and like re-sewing them to sell and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then that, and then that turning into a, a very Freudian situation <laughs> in the sort of like pseudo brothel that she runs in dirty snow. But, and then his first wife dies in a, by being hit by a car. Yeah. Right? But it's kind of, you and can then kind she of... lingers and then he has to sort of take care of her. Uh, yeah, but there's there's little details that I, on my second read I thought maybe she had some sort of form of cancer because her leg like expands and blows up and her stomach expands, and she mm-hmm. says something like the doctors. But they didn't... say that's just like hemorrhaging and, and yeah, uh, I thought that was oh, side really? effects of the car crash. Yeah, like she has some sort of I internal wasn't... bleeding issue that like causes retention, and she's she's blowing I'm looking up into for that reason. That much. was like such a sad moment to me when he's remembering. Angel dying, and he's like, she didn't even fucking know what was happening. Her like stomach was like ballooning from like internal fucking like organ expansion and shit. And she was just laughing and being like, "Oh, you'd think I was pregnant or something." Yeah, that was. Yeah, I was like, oh, god, that's really that's really sad. Yeah. And I think like even narratively, the way Simon wrote the book. You know, it, it's it's very subtle, and it's not it's not something that you would pick up on like on a casual read through. But 
the way he describes Emile's memories of all of these various women in his life as kind of like blending together and merging into this sort of like one kind of woman figure almost. The book is like written that way too, where it'll jump in time, like from paragraph to paragraph, like he'll, he'll be describing in detail this memory of his mother and then it'll just like jump switch to current events with Nellie or uh, uh, Marguerite or, or a different memory of um, Angel too. And it's like very um, subtle and it feels like the way memory actually kind of works, right? Where shit just kind of like rolls together and, and flows together. Yeah, the 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 experience. I mean, uh, we're not, I mean we're old in a sense, but we're not that old. Uh, so not, I don't really know how to. Sp- ups. Yeah, I don't know how to speak to the experience, but I've I've heard tell from old people that from, it's very from the old timers around the fire. Yes, sir. That it's very fucking like uh, tel- telescopic. It just collapses. You know, like you just. You go, oh, shit. Uh, and I think there's even mention of this, like, of people not feeling, or at least Emil not feeling as though he's evolved or that there's some sort of progress that's been made in his mental, spiritual, social development in any way. Like, he's just like, I'm, oh, shit, I'm just this old now, chronologically. And I don't know. I've heard that. I've heard that described by uh, other older people in the same age group. Like, there's some sort of like period where you're like, depending on who you are and what your experiences are, you you, you mark a hard line in the sort of flow of time and go like, I pretty much identify with this, and then the rest of your life doesn't feel phenomenologically different. You're just chronologically. Now this number of years, and you're like, oh, yeah. fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, but I do think that Simonon does seem to criticize the like overbearingly ritualistic nature of both Emile and Marguerite. Like they're they're both so so different in so many ways, but one common thing between them is that they they both like routine. Like Emile is just like a. a total creature of habit and that also translates to how he views relationships too is like he he needs relationships to fit into his routine but it, it seems almost like a game that he can't win because he loses excitement uh, especially when when he's dealing when he's like moves in with Nelly mm-hmm. and after like what like 11 days or something mm-hmm. he just you know, he had like these romantic ideas about moving in with Nelly. Like they, they used to, he used to just go in there and just like have sex with her, like pull her skirt up and have sex with her behind the, like not behind the bar, but like in the next room. Um, but so yeah, I the, guess so for the listeners, Nelly is a, the, uh, one of the other major characters in the novel and she's a, the bartender essentially slash owner tavern keeper of like a local, kind of a haunt little dive bar which there's also in terms of this 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 theme of things going out of style there are some little moments where she comments on like these young people don't like they don't like places like this anymore they don't come here it's all uh old guys and construction workers yeah but also also Sorry, the, i interrupted you paul here Sorry. 
Oh, yeah, go oh, for it, right. Paul. I forgot what I was getting at. I think I was talking about just how habitual they are. And I, I, really, I do think that Simonon is kind of uh, just maybe not judging, but creating some sort of commentary about the nature of people like these, these two characters and how it can affect you in a relationship, obviously, but also kind of dead in your life. Like a lot of the times I was reading this, you know, and they're, they're both retired, Emile and Marguerite, and they're, they're in their seventies. They're, they're well, they're not, I guess they're pretty well off, but they're just like kind of walking around Paris. They have nothing to do. They like, they just wake up and do their chores and go do their shopping. But they're so miserable. I just wanted to be like, I don't know, make a freaking model airplane or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they were just so, like they had, they had nothing to fill their lives with, and they were clinging on to each other because that's what that's like the only thing that really was filling up both of them. But it was horrible. It was like the worst relationship I've ever read about in a novel. But I also think, like, the, the point about habit, like, that's part of the sort of thesis of the novel to me is that, like, in terms of, maybe especially in terms of relationships, but also possibly in general, like, misery can itself be, like, a form of satisfaction, right? Like, it is its own habit that you get into, and it is its own kind of thing that you miss when it's gone. In oh, a way. Yeah. Like, Are you talking to me directly right now? Babe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what, maybe that's one of the reasons why I like this book so much is because like <laughs> it's very hashtag relatable for me, just <laughs> clinging on to misery. Do you want to talk years. about? Uh, should we should we uh, transition? That maybe that's Patreon content. We'll talk about Paul's relationship in light of the cat. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I mean again, you know, it's not just you. Like I think a lot of people have had relationships like that where it's just like. That you, you get into this routine and I, I, from some objective perspective, like it sucks. And if someone like pinned you down and was like, are you happy? You'd be like, no. But then you crave that thing. You crave that routine. You crave those moments when they aren't there anymore in a way. And I think everyone can, can sort of like feel that to some degree or another. I mean, it's like we, we talk about like these days, toxic relationships. There's a reason people stay in them. And, uh, it's partially, I think what Simonon is sort of, sort of getting at here. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's, I think, yeah. you know, I think that, uh, it was really smart of Simonon to write about a bad relationship in this way. You know, he takes it to like the peak, of what you know maybe passive aggressiveness or just like ill communication skills are i mean he could have taken in the direction of like you know uh physical abuse obviously bad relationship but i think it was smart of him to take it in this direction that was just like you know when you get into a bad relationship you have that you have those moments like you were talking about earlier gabe just like not saying the things that you want to say and then maybe just totally closing off like they did. They just totally stopped talking to each other and it comes down to notes only. But they're, they stay in it 
so I, I just I just think it was smart of him to take it to the the peak level of awfulness in a in a more subtle way, and it, it makes it more even keeled too because you can see both sides of, of the horribleness of each person. Like it's from Emil's perspective, but you can see the you can see Marguerite's point of view of why he would be awful for her for her also. It, it's not written from Emil's perspective. It's not written in first person or anything. No, it's, no, no. It's uh, but you mostly get the details about what he's. I mean, what, what would you call the, that? Yeah, he's the main sort of first character that you follow for sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'll say about like you you asked what makes this different from other Simonon books earlier, Matt. And one thing is like Simonon is so like straightforward and and realistic in most of his writing. And I felt like this description of this relationship at the beginning of the book and like the way it develops with them flicking notes to each other, like fucking like paper footballs, like across <laughs> the living room. Like it was, it, there were moments particularly early on where it was like borderline, like surreal for me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it was so, like you said, Paul, taking this premise to its sort of logical conclusion, like the most extreme possible version of like a passive aggressive relationship. And that to me is unique in what I've read in Simonon. Like he's usually like, like very, I hate the word gritty, but he's like relentlessly realistic and relentlessly straightforward. And like, this felt like him walking up to the edge of like absurdity and just like dangling there and peering over. But I don't think he felt like that was, um, I don't think he's. I don't think he's away from the same <coughs> cleaving to realism that he thinks he is. I think this is like this feels very much like somebody who's writing about uh, what they think is is another kind of realistic revelation, because Emil kind of finds himself in this relationship uh, with this person you know, doesn't really understand why, understands just sort of the very circumstantial reasons why he he, he might have, like, been in, 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 like, caught, basically, in a marriage. Uh, but when he's with Nelly, right, I think significantly, like we were saying, like, with the end of these books, that there's, like, a lot that's dumped on you quickly and not super overtly uh, in uh, Simonon's thoughts about like the thesis or whatever. Um, what's funny is he leaves the relationship with Marguerite and lives it boards in Nelly the bartender's bar with her uh, because he's like, I'm being my life is being dictated by this person who is tyrannical. But you'll notice that at the end he's he's doing what he quote unquote wants. He's eating out whatever he wants. He's doing way more what he wants. He's fucking finally for the first time in years. Uh, <laughs> Chilling, reading books. Yeah, with Dude's some, rock. you know, right. You'd think, and then uh, his complaint about that situation at the end of it is still that he hates people telling him what he thinks and what he should be doing, which he still Not even finds that. even in even in these like scenarios of like bars he's chosen to go to and like restaurants and like he finds the same my point is he finds the same 
problems in the quote-unquote self-chosen. They're both chosen. And he finds the same critique in both realms. Yeah, but the the problem with especially his like Fast. fallout with Nelly is he just it, it comes to light that he's just like a freaking baby and doesn't he can't deal with any form of criticism even like Nelly doesn't even really like end up criticizing him. She she like softly interrogates him about how he's feeling about Marguerite. And he <laughs> She, like, barely asks him a question about it, and his mind flips on her. And he's like, I think I hate her, too. Yeah. I think she's like Marguerite and my mom. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and then we have that line later on where he just calls, like, all women bitches, which yes. I, th- I still yeah. think we should read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's important. But, yeah, it, it came to light for me that he was just, like, kind of a little child boy searching for... I don't even know what, maybe searching for the happiness he had with his ex-wife, but we really don't even know if, like, the fondness he has for her is only nostalgic fo- fondness because she's dead and gone. You know, I, I, I have my hesitations to even uh, accept that that relationship was all that he makes it out to be. He questions her fidelity, um, For sure. in ways that seem, you know, again, like, I think very intentionally, like, uh, hypocritical because, you know, he, he wasn't and, and it was supposed to be all good. Uh, but then, yeah, also, like, with Marguerite. Yeah, like, uh, oh, my God, uh, women are spiders that that fucking catch you in their net and then weave you through and then they're but they're still always wanting the same thing. They were trying to like suck you dry of, of your essence and all this kind of shit. Like it does right. the the vibe of the book does did strike me as that basically. Um Yeah. Aside from the fact that I abstract, right? It's like it's not like she's after him for money. She's richer than him. It's not like she's after him for money or, or status or anything. Right. He sort of describes it as like she treats him like a house servant, basically. Like, he's just there because she needs company or needs things done or whatever. Yeah, he thinks he's, uh, like, a sort of hired hand, more or less. Um, it's also interesting that she's painted to be this spider-type woman from his perspective, too, because the townspeople around the few blocks... And like they, they like love her, and and her characterization is like what she's like a small, kind of wholesome old woman who likes wearing like pink, and buys like little portions of meat. She's like, oh, give me like the smallest one. She, she, yeah. she reminds me a little bit, and we may have to cut this later, but she reminds me a little bit of my mother-in-law, who just sort of like very performatively. Being like, oh, I don't need the whole thing. Oh my god, please, I only need yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Like, just give me a half. Oh, I won't even eat all that. Oh my god, it's so big. Yeah. And then yeah. at one in the morning, they're shoving their face with ice cream. Bingo. That's li- yeah. that literally happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I did not like that about her character, but uh, she is kind of like you know. She's not an easy target out like o- only from Emile's perspective does she become this kind of 
hated character. Like when I when I read the book, I hated her because I maybe I kind of saw myself a little bit in Emil. Um, but when I step away and think about her, you know, she's not a terrible human being. And I think that points to how good of a writer Simonon is for characterization and getting in someone's head, like the way he, he got into Emil's. I just, I don't know. I, again, maybe just like, uh, she's got some tragic flaws and, uh, there is that whole class element that was described earlier. Yeah, she's right? a summation of her socialization and her upbringing, and that yeah, adds and, to and her personality. She's kind of try, just trying to maintain, in a way, that, uh, what? She's just trying to maintain a semblance of ritual, like you were saying. She, she wants things to remain the same, and they're not. Her uh, yeah. her birthright is being half demolished by the end of the book. Um, I don't know. I actually, I really did get the sense that uh, Simonon was um, was more on the side of Emil, and even though he was like sort of admitting that Emil had faults, obviously as well, and that uh, maybe things were more complicated than Emil, the character, was willing to admit in terms of. Uh, the ideal scenario for his own life. Uh, that Marguerite was not, she was not great. She was not a good person. She wasn't a great or a good person. Yeah. But I mean, what, what's the worst thing that she did? Supposing that she did not kill a cat. What do you think the worst thing she did was, was it like bringing in her friend to talk about him in the kitchen. She doesn't hourly do anything like evil if she didn't kill the cat. And again, we, like we said, it's all from Emil's sort of uh, interpretation. So we, we, we don't really get the interior life of Marguerite at all. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That obviously would have changed things immensely. So I, I don't really know yeah. if she's more of a, like a kind of uh, symbolic entity than anything else in the book. I think that's right because I, I really do think that Emil thinks of women as as like one thing, like one orb that is woman, you know? And I think and yeah, all... that, that relates to the fact that all of the sort of important women in his life sort of merge together in his own memory yes. as like one kind of entity that dictates his, that from his perspective, again, like dictates his life. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't hate it. Also, you know, like he 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 seeks it out, and then Ooh, like tell me I drink too much, mommy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like he's a dumbass too, you know. Like he 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 likes feeling useful, and he likes like uh, you know the other sex telling him that uh, he serves some sort of purpose or or whatever, you know. Like it's pretty pathetic. This is why I'm a Vol cell. <laughs> Paul cell, like we were saying. Paul cell. <laughs> Paul cell, Vol cell. Yeah. But is that a solution, Paul? For right now, it feels like the right solution for sure. I don't know. When I read but a book isn't like that, this, that's kind of, isn't that kind of the whole point is that, like, 
Emil tries to go Valsal, but Does he? his... I mean, kind of. Not, not, not I mean, Valsal. He, he still has sex he with Nelly. I know, but he doesn't like it. You know? <laughs> he won't even get naked, you know? Yeah, because he's ashamed of his old man boobs. Yeah, yeah. It's, Skinny it's, old man body. Which, again, getting back to, and this is a little, please let this be the last time we talk about Wahlbeck. But again, this, these sorts of themes of like aging and male sexuality, and it's it, those are very prominent uh, yeah. here. So, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think like Matt was saying, he kind of realizes that even... Even by saying, no, I'm over it, it's still controlling him. You know what I mean? It's still dictating the very fact of him walking away and saying, I'm over it. Yes. But he still feels like that very last bit where Marguerite is like showing her face at the bar finally, like figuring out where he is and... and running into him, you know, quote unquote accidentally by like having having deduced his routine. His claim is that Marguerite is faking her her right. distraught mind as she's there, right? Like she, like he's like she once he finally gets back in her orbit and like is in the house again, he's like, "Oh, she, Marguerite Marguerite was pretending to look ill and like needing my presence and whatever right and and you know shortly thereafter more so because you know it said symbolically because of the destruction of like the other half of the alley uh she dies she just dies mid routine again yep just in her uh, bedroom yeah and you just you you never get a conclude. You know, you you never get a, a confirmation of whether or not she's faking it. It's all like once again, like we said, in Emil's head to a degree, and uh, that is kind of the deciding factor onto a little bit of Marguerite's character, like summarily, right? Like you know, like if she were indeed faking all this stuff she would be more monstrous. But the thing is, you don't know. Right. I would say. Like, you don't, you don't have a, you don't have a concrete uh, confirmation of, of anything about her. Not really. It's all, it's all fucking Emil who's, who's talking about it. So, you know, you have his, uh, his kind of like guesses and theories, but, and his idea that women are all bitches. I think but that's these, a smart these point women, the, <laughs> That women are all bitches? No, no, that <laughs> not point of view. That, uh, good lord, no, uh, good. Uh, it was smart of Simonon to write from only Emil's perspective because, I mean, for one major reason, if he wrote from, if he like switched back and forth, we would get the knowledge of whether or not the cat was killed by her, right? Um, which would I think take yeah. away from? Uh, it's it literally from Schrodinger's Emil's, cat. It's like. It just exists in this like fucking Holy shit, existence dude, of like cat. yeah, Emil's cat. It's is it dead or is or what was it killed or was it not? Like there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know? matter because it's all about it's it's from it's about Emil's like projection first and foremost. Yeah, I think you see that in things like uh, you know what's funny is like I, I think you see that in things like uh, 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 Eyes Wide Shut 
right? Oh, like, I love that movie. The movie's awesome. A book about a man just spiraling into his own, like, fucking weird fantasy about his wife. I mean, in that case, about her cheating. But still, like, you know, about a woman's internal uh, reality. Yes. Um, but completely fabricated by the male side of the, of the equation. And I think that that is, like, you know, you could read this book and and, and be sort of come down on the side, like, like feel like it's kind of like sexist and he calls all women bitches and da, 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 da. But the fact that it's written from his perspective showing the way that he kind of like spirals with it and creates all of these narratives and stories in his own mind, none of which we ever find out like are, as you say, Matt, like are true or, or, or not I think that that in and of itself is sort of like it's it's a critique, right? Like it's a it's a way of sort of pointing out the you know failures of that kind of way of looking at it. Like Nellie seems the most enlightened in in some senses, and she definitely like um, you know kind of like <laughs> you know like Babe Ruth just calls it from way back. She's like totally the ball's going there. Uh, by the end of this, and she even gets the time frame kind of basically correct. Yeah. You know, there, there's a way in which the, she has a sense, uh, like, a prescience about her, and I think that's important. Well, Nellie, some characterization about Nellie is that, what, she when she was really young, she was a prostitute, right? Yeah. Yep. And I don't know exactly when she started running this bar. Well, she, she, she wound up marrying one of her Johns, Theo. Yeah. Oh, who okay. owned the bar who initially. Owned the bar, yeah, and then he oh, died. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, Nellie was kind of a funny character for me. She was kind of like the like the old wise man or something in a in a fantasy novel. She just kind of had she kind of she could kind of project predict the future. But I also think that um you know, her kind of guessing that Emile is going to go back with Marguerite or wants to go back was almost obvious too, and I feel like it'd be obvious to a lot of people because she's known him for a long time and his habitual nature probably came through. Um, but I, I also just think it's like a common thing in relationships too. When you escape, you break up for a little bit. It's, you're probably going to get back together for a little bit too or forever. Well, that's, that, that's what I was saying is like the, you, you leave because of the ostensible um, restrictions on your freedoms, right? Like you're like, Oh my God, like, in the, in my relationship, I can't fucking game all the time, and I can't uh, eat crap. Dude, that's a deal breaker. I know, and go to sleep whenever I want, and like blah blah blah. And it's like, that's it, it's kind of, it's kind of this dialectic between like positive and negative freedom, right? Like, you, like, what am I technically allowed to do versus what do I have the freedom through restriction to now do, or something like that, you know? Yeah, but it all, I mean... Through an authority. The authority of somebody else being in your life who needs you to uh, do this or that. But this is all but, not to say that, like, Marguerite's not also, in her own way, fucking dictatorial and bad. But where, where, where the whole machine breaks for me and for Emil, too, and he, like, kind of knows it subconsciously, is that, like, he's in the most, like, diabolically straight-edge, rule-oriented relationship marriage with this person like he's got what he quote unquote needs in a wife you know he's got these rules to follow or whatever but it 
It's totally a fucking sham, and it's insane. I mean, yeah, obviously they don't the worst, talk to each the other. worst case scenario, they both killed each other's pets and now speak only in notes. Like no one is thinking allegedly this is good. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you had to say the worst case scenario, right? They both murdered each other's pets, and they're both potentially in, in each other's minds scheming to poison one another, which I love. Yes, like, yeah. They they have yeah. separate uh, pantries for all their food and alcohol. <laughs> like he buys, no one's saying that's good. Doesn't he buy a cupboard? Yes. from like yes. a cabinet he maker at one point with like he's like he's like give me a lock that you can't pick with lock you can't pick with a freaking like bobby pin or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. Well, and that's one of the things early on <laughs> in the book when they're passing notes. One of his like, you know, torturing her. He passes her a note and it just says like, "Be careful about the butter." You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I I don't know if we we left we we got off the rails enough to say that like this the relationship is bad. It's not just fabricated, really. It's not just whimsy and people's speculation. It's like bad. It's like not, not a good relationship. Even if both parties are more innocent than they would believe of each other. But I also think that like one of the things Simonon is trying to get at, and I don't maybe I don't know what you guys think about this. Like, yeah, of course I agree the relationship is bad. But I think one of the things he's trying to say is that, you know, if we're thinking about like in a general sense, like what what sorts of forces bind people together, and mm. what sorts of things like lead to lives being forever intertwined we talk a lot about love and and good marriages and all that but i think one of the things Simon is trying to say here is that like hate and and anger and sadness is as powerful a force as love at binding people together and at intertwining lives inexorably yeah the dark inverse can yeah. be true you know i was thinking i was thinking about I don't know if I told you guys this story, I, uh, but I did think about this reading the book. So I, I worked at a bakery, right? I was just like a cashier at a bakery. Uh, Muffin Matt. Sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. And uh, so, you know, the bakery opens at six sharp, right? This I'm, I'm, at, the, I'm at the cash register. Oh, I, uh, know, I know where you're talking. I know the bakery you're talking about. Yes. Um... A person a little older than the main two people, Marguerite and Emile, right? 75-year-old lady, basically, I'm saying, comes in. She's got half a loaf of bread, and she just... It's 6 a.m. I'm so tired. I am in high school, and I hate working, and I still yeah. do. And uh, <laughs> she just shows me the segment of bread, and it's a cinnamon swirl loaf, and the, and she's like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, do you see a problem here? It's six in the morning. Oh and I'm God. like, and I'm just like, I, uh, no, you know. She's like, the bread is cinnamon swirl. Would you call this a swirl? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it slowly and it started to dawn on me. I'm like, uh, I was like, oh my God. And she was like, 
I've been shopping here for 30 years or something like that. Just like the swirl has always done number of spirals into the bread and really mixed with the bread. <laughs> and this and to, and for the last couple of days I've been eating this subpar. It's not really swirled into the bread, the cinnamon. And she wanted a refund. She ate three quarters of the fucking bread. Oh and I just God. didn't get. I didn't give her the the refund. And she was like, "I knew, you know, the owner, blah blah blah." And like she left, and I was just thinking about this kind of person, right? Like this kind of person who, at the crack of fucking dawn, gets up pissed to argue about the <laughs> amount of cinnamon in the bread she's eating. Uh, and I was like, hate and anger are powerful vivifying forces yes that yeah. absolutely animate particularly older people in the same way that like fucking joie de vivre and and appreciation of beauty and happiness also do in fact i would argue that more people are animated and extend their lifespans via anger and hatred than some sort of love for the world 100% <laughs> Hundred percent. Happy people. Love happy and people die young, Right. They're yeah, ready dude. to go because they're satisfied. They're like, and that's another part of life. And then they die. That's why fucking Mitch McConnell is still alive. Right. Meanwhile, these beat red motherfuckers who come in just like pissed about little pittances and and petty shit. You know, that th they'll live forever. Dude, that that story is so fucking real. As <laughs> someone who worked in the service industry for most of my life until recently. I cannot fucking tell you how many people, regulars, that I would have every, everywhere that I worked who would come in every fucking week, sometimes every day, and complain every day about <laughs> whatever they got. And like my, my fucking, my first thought is always like, why do you fucking keep coming here then? If you right. hate everything we do all the time, <laughs> why stop? Just stop coming. Like this is how we make the dish, or this is what it is. I don't know what to tell you. Like it's not like okay. Like the first couple times you remake it or whatever, but at some point you're like, I th we this is it. This is what it is. Yeah. And and th th that like, and I remember one guy specifically, like you said, Matt, older guy. Always came in by himself. One of the one of the best tippers that I've ever had. It was almost like he was paying me a tax to like take his anger out on me. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he would uh -huh. just come in and bitch about everything. Coffee's too cold. Eggs are not like the, the, the fucking yolks are not halfway between over hard and over medium. Right. And, like whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> and it would just tip like 20 bucks every time on like two eggs and bacon and coffee. And it was just like, what is yeah. going on in your head, dude? Rage and routine. Yes. This right here is a better SNL skit than any in the last like, three years. <laughs> I, I can just imagine a guy coming in and being like sipping a hot coffee, but it's cold. Yeah, just 30 years coffee. of that. Yeah. Rage and routine. I would yep. say that this dry. book is a lot of the... Yeah. <laughs> Here's a $30 tip. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, which is its own signal, right? It's its own, like, that's Marguerite um, comporting to Catholic Christian ethics 
while absolute like while absolutely not comporting to the uh, intent of those <laughs> rules. It's the, you know the letter I mean? versus the spirit of the law. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's she's a vessel of her social upbringing and her religion, isn't she? She's just kind of like going through the motions of what she expects she should be. And that's I think that's one of the main reasons I hate her. I think that Emil is a little bit more of a person, but he, he still has this like overbearing habitual nature that is pretty despisable. Yeah, he kind of is what he's described. He's he's a, he's a little bit of a Lothario. He's a, he's a slob. Like he, uh, but he, I, I agree that you know I think he's written in a way that seems to suggest he gets more to the pith and like viscera of life. And uh, Marguerite is this desiccated automaton in a sense, fueled by rage for her loss of standing and her How loss of you know, uh, you know, whatever, like her. But I think Emil is fueled by rage just as much. And it's rage of his own making, right? And I think this gets back to where the, the point that we don't know if Marguerite actually poisoned the cat because yes. he created this story like basically instantly. Like he yes. invented or he'd invested so much emotional energy in this cat that he had found and adopted essentially and finds it dead and there's some sort of rat poison around which he admits that he put there for the rats yeah and then he just assumes that she had somehow like uh, either could be a massive coat that he killed his cat exactly like either yeah. you know she purposely negligently let it into the basement to eat the poison or put it in its food or whatever but he instantly creates the story that she did it on purpose to hurt him. And, you know, that becomes the guiding narrative of his life from that point on. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that like, scene was really good when, when he first finds the cat and he's like, he's, I mean, literally in that moment, he actually has a literal fever. And so he's like feverishly angry and yeah. like freaking out about the cat. And you, you know what it reminded me of when I was thinking about, uh, when I was reading the scene, it reminded me of the scene in uh, A Christmas Story, my favorite movie, when the dad goes down uh, to the basement to fix the uh, heater and the dog eats the turkey. Yes. <laughs> and he comes back up and just like freaks out about the dog eating the turkey. Yeah. 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 Even in like the the French judicial system, which is like, if we watch a documentary about the French woman who got killed in Ireland, I learned a murder in like Cork. A, is that what it's called? A Cork, yeah. That they they judge people on like a bouquet of evidence, basically, <laughs> which sounds insane to me. But even in that scenario, I don't think that the jury in France would side with uh, Emile. I mean, he freaking put the he he put the the poison down. There's there's like very clear evidence that he accidentally killed his cat. So, yeah, yeah. But he concocts this whole like uh, almost like Edgar Allan Poleian story in the basement. 
Uh, yeah. And it, yeah, like ruins, ruins him. And it's based off of, you know, a characterization of her from multiple years of being together before that happens, where she's just yeah. incredibly staid and conservative and, uh, yeah, I guess, pr- what, prudish in a way? Like, they don't <coughs> fuck. That's another part of it is, like, they don't, they don't fuck. He regards, she regards sex as, like, a, a odious wifely duty in within a uh, Catholic marriage. And she says, it, she says that in so many words, basically. Like, yeah. oh, I'm your wife. I have to put up with this, too. So fuck me if you want. You know who, she reminded me of the other side of, of the coin, gender-wise, of Riker from uh, the last book. What's that, the last book? A burnt out case. Yeah. A burnt out case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Basically. Like so, yeah, just her like and Riker would have made a great couple. Totally. He would have had sex with her though, whereas Emil just gave yeah. up. Well, right, but Riker Riker, <laughs> well, Riker But Riker wouldn't have cared that she didn't want it because it true. was yeah. duty. Yeah. yeah. And she would have accepted the duty. Have accepted the duty. In fact, it like probably Riker duty. probably would have it, it would have been a turn-on for Riker that she didn't want it because it was not loves, actually sexual and it was just for God. God, yeah, he loves God. The power of God compels you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. Well, and Marguerite might have bought into Riker's godlike uh, obsessions and maybe she would have enjoyed it. Not that she would enjoy rape, but sex. No, <laughs> she would enjoy doing her duty for God. Yeah. That's true. She she does have a sort of grim pleasure in 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 in, in, in a, again like we're saying this kind of like uh, n- photographic negative of a meal of doing what she needs to do despite her the uh, like not eating anything and like like just sort of, like the keeping up with appearances is supposed to be very much the you know antithesis but also you know the the same thing as what Emil's doing. Uh, where she's like not enjoying her own life, probably, you know, but she's principled in this weird way. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's like she's puppeteered right by her. Like, I think I said it earlier. Spooked, she, you might even say she's spooked. <laughs> yeah, she's spooked yeah. I, as I hell. hate to. to but Emil is fucking at least as spooked, if not more. Oh spooked. yeah, yeah. Right. He does the classic also bad move of like uh taking your your significant other's emotional state as a referendum on you only. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like which mm-hmm. is a classic, you know, error to make where you're just like every emotion you're having relates to me. And I think that it contributes I've... to the potential again it's so key that we don't know, but the potential misattribution of the death of his cat to her, her intentions. And I, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is a hot take. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I actually think that they, when they finally get back together at the end, um, and they resume their sort of, you know, it, like I think it would have been a very different book and it would have been a sort of maybe like contemporary read romance if they got together at the end and started talking to each other again. But that doesn't happen, right? Because this is Simonon mm. and uh, they get back together and they just immediately resume sending each other mean notes and they don't speak and then she dies. 
And, but I think that they are closer to happy by the end than they have been in a long time because they both sort of realize that this perverse routine that they have is now what gives their life meaning. And, and Simonon, I think is very reserved in like not presenting that as gross or bad. It's not, there's no judgment about it. It's like, this is what works for these people. And like, there's a moment at the end when he finds the note, she leaves him on the piano. It's just like, you you smell like shit. Like take a shower. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of likes it. I think, you know, and I feel like they, like, it's not, it's not bleak to me in that sense. It's like that, that this, even something, this kind of, like I said, objectively bad, objectively perverse or whatever can grant a certain type of grace and happiness. I mean, that is it's kind of a hot take. It's still bleak because I, I, I think the, the, the light that shines is very dim about the level of happiness that they could potentially have had in their lives ever. And I, I think that I think you're right, though, that maybe Simonon isn't casting judgment and maybe he's a little bit happy for these people for finding some sort of strange, perverted happiness in their relationship. But it, it is bleak. For sure. Yeah, I, don't I don't think it's any... the best that these people could do. Uh, see, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I may be an outlier. What are you going to say, Matt? No, I was just going to express doubts, too. I'm more curious what you have to say about... Maybe I'll have more to say if you defend it. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, I was sort of reading this, like... Through the lens of, so there's been a lot of work done recently in what's called affect theory, um, which is a branch of, of um, sort of phenomenology and, and um, philosophical thinking about the sort of cultural role and the, the, the sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the right term, but like the, 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 the way we talk about happiness as this sort of inherent goal in and of itself and is divine like defined in a certain way and uh if you're not happy then something's wrong right either with you or with your relationship or whatever and and it strikes me that what simonon is doing here in a way is kind of like expanding our understanding of what happiness looks like it's not that they're unhappy per se they just hate each other. The, the, and, and I think that the way we talk about happiness in our sort of culture and idealizing these sort of, you know, like fucking storybook romances, frankly, it, those things go together. And I think he's trying to pull them apart a little bit. Like they're in a bad relationship that they don't like and they hate each other. But I think in a way that, that they're happy. Um... And I don't know. I just, I, I thought that was interesting. I like, so I, I, I guess I disagree that it's bleak in, in this sort of like straightforward way. I don't think it's clear cut. I just still think it's bleak. You know, I, 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 I agree that there's, again, you know, there's a double edge 
to all to all kinds of scenarios, including love, you know, like uh, the the vulnerability of of that, including uh, a kind of hatred and 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 that kind of thing. At the same time, I just I I I, I can't go the the distance of like it's affected. Well, I'm assuming if affect theory is like people basically faking. Uh, like like kind of uh, Sally or whatever in Mrs. Dalloway like uh, it, it's more about like it's kind of just like a newfangled way to talk about phenomenology it's about it's about the way things sort of make us you know feel or um, you know it, it's like affect in the broad sense right like how am I affected by this event or this situation or whatever it's a complicated notion of like uh, happiness as a conceptual trap. I think for a lot of people these days. Yes, exactly. Um, versus, versus just a genuinely bad scenario. You know, like I, I think we all agree that those still exist, right? Like that, even if you can derive a, a quality of satisfaction out of something that most outside observers would call bad. Uh, f- first of all, you'd have to go in comparison to what. And second of all, like, just like, what? When does it just become bad? I I don't know. I agree that it's complicated, and I and I think you're right that Simonon is is trying to expand our our palette of what constitutes happiness, quote unquote, a sense of fulfillment, a a, a workable equilibrium, or whatever. Um, but I would still say that I wouldn't. I I certainly would not want to be caught in the tension that Emil is in <laughs> no I mean I wouldn't want to either but again like what what you and I want is not like the 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 metric True. by which we need to say he's unhappy True. or whatever right and that's part of the point right like okay yeah we're talking about objectively bad um you know we can talk about uh like you know murder or rape or whatever like all these hideous yeah, objectively bad, right? Sexual slavery. Obje- but, like, these are, you know, to get libertarian with it for a second, these are two consenting adults who have established this weird situation. Um, and, I mean, and I think they to, both uh, like it. I don't know. I think to push back a little bit, I mean, I, I would say that their ages have something to do with the level of happiness that they can acquire in their lives. Like if if someone was in a relationship like this when they were twenty three years old with somebody, uh, and they were kicking notes like footballs back and forth to each other and not speaking, I would say, get the hell out of this relationship. And I still say that to to these two people. I mean, they're in their early seventies, mid seventies. One's ends up dying, but still, it's like you can probably do better. I'm not I'm not denying that maybe they found some sort of form of happiness, but um, perhaps because of their late age and they're so set in their ways habitually that you could say that, like, all right, you're you're doing your thing. You, you've created these habits over your lifetime and you seem to be in a strange way content and you're in a meals like escape and then retreat back to Marguerite is kind of evidence to this weird form of happiness and love. So, okay, maybe this is good for you at this point in your life, but 
Yeah, I think the age has something to do with that. And you're, I don't think you're wrong. Like, by the end of the book, um, Marguerite dies. Uh, it's just in parallel to the destruction of the 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 building that, in her head, belongs to her and is not part of the Salonave or whatever brothers' new building project. Um, I think it's a father and son. Salonave. Yes, I think yeah. you're right. Um, and he says uh, the very last little chunk, and there's a lot of ellipses by the end, because he's, he's himself sick for reasons that are unclear, and he wakes up in a hospital. Uh, he goes, uh, quote, he was dot, dot, dot. It was hard to think. The doctor's smile, there was, he tried to find the word. He did not find it. There was no longer anything. So I think you're right that the, with her death, there is d- the destruction of some sort of final concretizing element to his life that allowed him to, to live. I think all uh, those ellipses at the end are, that's where his relationship with Marguerite was, right? His hatred, his bitterness, and it's dissipated. Yeah, and I guess my argument is, like, you need those reasons, right? Uh, and pragmatically, sure, yeah, whatever works, right? Whatever, I, I'm not going to yuck somebody's yum or whatever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> I fucking hate that phrase. <laughs> I do, too. Sounds like throw up. But I think it's because of scenarios like this a little bit that I don't like that phrase, you know? It's not like it's like the let people enjoy things. It's like uh, uh, I don't know. I think it's a sad conclusion to a sad scenario, regardless of. And I think you're right that uh, again that there was some sort of contentment there or whatever equilibrium established, um, perverse routine that was enjoyable in some sense. But I, I think Simonon is also just as a writer so far that I've experienced someone who is is French in that way and also critical of uh, humanity and what we what we sink to and what uh, I don't know maybe that's too oversimplifying. Yeah, I mean, there's the yeah maybe I'm maybe I'm going too far, but there's the sort of like the the famous Beckett quote about I can't you know, go on I'll go on yeah but, but but like yeah just like in general the the sort of like his work being about the limits of what human beings can kind of like that, that essentially there's no there's no um limit to what human beings can adapt to and endure mm. right um and and I think for Beckett it was definitely a negative thing in some ways um, but I don't know. I don't know if I got that out of this. I, I, I sort of felt like Simonon was just kind of presenting this as a, a, a case study of people who found happiness in a way that appears unacceptable to most of us. Yeah, I'll buy that. I still, I still don't buy it. Because, I, I mean, they both have... They both have uh, 
examples where they were, you know, potentially happier in their in their last marriages. Um, I, I I think it's more of an acceptance than happiness. It's like a a strange. I'll I'll give it. I won't say happiness, but I'll, I'll give you like a a strange contentness or a soft contentness. Yeah, yeah, maybe happiness is a loaded word too. Yeah, just exactly. in general. Yeah. Speaking but of you're happiness, right. Read, read read Sarah Ahmed's book, The Promise of Happiness. This is what it's about. Okay, okay. I'll read it for the podcast. Patreon yeah, only. Yeah, yeah, Patreon, Patreon only. We'll no no nonfiction on the main show. <laughs> Speaking of happiness, I was thinking of the movie Happiness while reading this. Oh my god! And just Todd thinking, Sons. I wanted Philip Seymour Hoffman in this book. Some, but I, I there's no character that. But I just I could see him like on the streets in the movie, just like holding a coffee or something. <laughs> uh, like his vibe in that movie fit the the feel of this book. Who would play? Who would play Emil? Sorry, go ahead. I'm just oh no, I'm just saying that's not that's a pretty good comparison because like that th- that book is, or I mean that movie is is nothing if not like. Here's all the fucked up ways other people can be quote unquote happy. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And is this, you know, these people are criminal. They should go to jail, et cetera. But like, that's what makes them happy. Anyway, who would play a meal in the movie? Mm. Anne Marie, Robin Williams. You think <laughs> I could see it? <laughs> if I he were alive, perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Someone stout. I feel like someone kind of like maybe like. Uh, uh, why can't I remember his name? God damn it. Harvey Keitel. Oh. From Pulp Fiction or what? Yeah. Yeah. What about? But like, he's I old. S- and he's kind of like, he's like stocky and he's like kind of, he was strong. So I think he still like looks strong, but he's old now. So right. I think, would, I don't know. It's like Harvey Keitel and then it would be um um for Marguerite, it would fucking fuck. It would be, uh, 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 uh. It would be the wife from, uh, uh. The Robin Williams movie. Scarlett Johansson. No. <laughs> Adam Driver. No, That's Sally Fields. Fields. Yeah, yeah. Sally Fields. Yeah, I think she'd actually be good. Yeah, Sally Fields would be good. Bring them both back. I was gonna say, what's her face from uh, uh, from Manhattan? Dan. No. Oh. Not Diane Keaton. That's yes, Diane, Diane, yeah, Keaton. Diane Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking her too, but I think she's a little bit too strong-willed. She's too funny. Diane Keaton's is also too funny and bubbly. In yeah, Marguerite. I'm just trying to think like of like someone who's aged loaf. into like a sort of like desiccated but regal. <laughs> this is not nice, but like you know, I mean, it would be nice if I could think of French people. Shout out to Diane Keaton. Uh, shout out Diane. Those. Two it would probably nice. be Bill Murray would be cast if we're being honest as a meal. Oh God. We're talking about our ideal scenario. Yeah, though. yeah. Okay, here's here's a hot take that isn't really a hot take. It's more of a dumb, dumb take. But, Matt, you said at the end that um, it was revealed to you that Emil was sick. See, I, I read it both times I read this book. I read it that he slit his wrists. Did you not what? get that? What? I thought that he ran into the doctor's office and they were like, what the hell's wrong with you? What's going on? And then they, like, looked down, and she was like, oh, my God, are you okay? And then I thought he woke up in a psych ward. Nah. I mean, not for me. 
Wait, where I read does that it the say, same where does way it both say times. they look down? Like, what? No, I just thought he passed out. Yeah. I thought that he slit his wrist unconsciously and then woke up in a psych ward. Unconsciously? Yeah, he was, like, running through the streets because his wife died. I thought that he cut his wrist. And, well, I mean, wh- at the end, they're like, you're going to be here for a long time. You're not I mean, getting out of here or something. Because he's old like, and fucking unhealthy. That's See, true, I read I'm that gonna, as I'm going like, to need you to... Maybe you're right. I don't know. If you can pick up just even one sentence or phrase that, like, cues anybody into that, that might be true. I just didn't well, read it. keep talking because I got I to gotta look. I mean, I've, I, mean th- I, I have the exact scene. So he runs to the doctor's office. He, uh, this is reading now. Uh, he rang and rang. What is it? The doctor isn't... A dark-skinned servant with a heavy foreign accent. A discreetly lighted marble entrance hall. My wife. I told you that the doctor, but it's my wife. She tried to close the door, but as she looked at him, she suddenly changed her mind. What's the matter with you? Nothing. It's my... He staggered forward. At the left was a Louis the 26th bench. 26th? No, 16th. Louis the 16th bench covered with faded pink velvet like one of the dresses. The fog enveloping him was also pink. Yeah, that's. I don't get anything about cutting your wrists there. The pink, okay, well, the pink is about the clothes Marguerite used to wear. Yeah, I thought it was also him like fading into a faint like state, and then the next line is when he opened his eyes, he he saw at first only whiteness. I guess that kind of makes sense when you're waking up from a state. But I I just thought like okay, the last page. Uh, you you underwent an emergency operation last night. I took that as they sewed his wrist back up. But when he no, because they say he feels his midsection, like he feels his uh, chest. Where's yeah. that one? Right. And it's the that. the bandages felt hard, hard bandages. That's what he says. It's not on his arms. Yeah. I, I would yeah, say he I had mean, something more like heart surgery. Yeah. Okay. Probably. See, I, to- I, I began that with I'm a dum-dum. <laughs> no. I, just thought, I actually read... Maybe I read it that way because I thought it would be like... His left hand felt his chest and he was surprised to find a rigid, rigid bandage under his fingers. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I read this book twice and I missed that. I'm a fucking idiot. So, some, yeah, he had some sort Signing of... Signing uh, off. <laughs> <laughs> he had, like, heart surgery or something, I think. Yeah. Which is interesting because... And, and I think yeah, it works... For the book, because that was kind of one of the quote unquote tricks that he always accused Marguerite of pulling was always right. like touching her chest and being like, oh, oh, like fa- like almost like feigning the beginnings of a heart attack to try to like goad him or get, you know, whatever to scare him. Um, and then it makes sense that he, one of his final acts in the book is to make that same motion. Right. They both did, except she actually legitimately died from it, I right. think. Probably. We don't know for sure. But meanwhile, yeah, he, he was the one to go. And there was also the whole discussion of, like, men dying earlier than women. And he, he yes. always thought he would go first. And she was always sort of teasing him that he would. And she'd be glad. Yep. Well, that's that's one thing I really liked about the book, too, is, like, on my first read, I remember just because I know Simonon, I really thought someone was going to get poisoned. You know, or I thought that he was going to die first, or I thought there was going to be this, like, huge, uh, 
violent scene. And I mean, it's pretty violent. It's pretty traumatic. It's, it's, it's traumatic for sure. Um, but I think it actually works so much better to like kind of echo the way his mom died too, to have Marguerite die the same way. Repetitions and, you know, the routine goes on, you know. And then also to just, like, have Simonon state a couple times in the book that, like, oh, she'll probably just, like, die when I'm not there someday. That's probably how it's going to happen. And that made me think, like, oh, that's probably not how it's going to happen. It's going to be different. It's going to be poison. But then that's just how it happened. I I thought it was, like, he cleverly just, like, shifted how I thought the end was going to turn out. Yeah, I mean, death, I think, ultimately tends to be pretty repetitive. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And you have, like, the kind of, like, Schrodinger's cat thing where, like, a dying cat, maybe or maybe not, but it still changes re- the entire reality of the situation, but also doesn't change the ultimate end of anybody. Yeah. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. Paul, I, I mean, I feel like we didn't read much from the book uh, so far, no. but um, I, 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 I just, I, I want to just flag that I just feel like Simonon's writing is so, it's not, it's not fancy and it's not flowery. It is fucking straightforward as fuck, but it is so just evocative to me. I don't know about you, Paul, but like the scenes in Nellie's bar and the descriptions of, of, of the bar, it, it really reminded me of the, the short story from the Murakami collection, Men Without Women, oh, Ke- yeah, Kino, yeah, yeah. Yeah. where the guy uh, opens... Is it the one with the snakes? Yes, yes. That's the one where there's the, the snakes outside the bar. It, 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 I, I just felt so... Like, I felt like I'd been to the bar. And I felt like I had been to the streets and I felt like I had been inside the house and he does it so economically. Like I, I, maybe part of why I haven't read anything is like, I don't even know what to point to, to like get it across how effective it is. But it's this, yeah. it's the whole sort of aggregation of these little descriptions of the wind or the sound of the fountain outside the house at night or you know whatever and it just all comes together in such a vivid way i i just i love it yeah i mean honestly and and just thinking about how quickly he wrote this book and probably many others too <laughs> like he reminds me of just like you know when you hear about a a painter like the, one of my favorite painters is um <laughs> what if i don't remember his name uh, Anders, Anders Picasso. Anders Picasso. Shit, I'm gonna look it up. He's my favorite painter. I don't know his name, <laughs> but I'm but like even like uh, some like Beethoven. This Anderson Posh. Zorn. Anders Zorn. That's what it is. But he he would be able to like look at a scene of people dancing and then go home and paint it in like two hours, and it's like a masterpiece. Or just thinking about like you know musicians that are like the peak level like uh, Beethoven writing shit when he's deaf and stuff I, I actually do hold Simonon to a similar level because he, he writes like a freaking painter to me he, he's so like you said evocative and just knows how to be so simple yet so just like straightforward and, and gorgeous in his descriptions and where to place certain 
passages and sentences. It's just absolutely amazing. And it's, it, it comes across as so easy, which it was to him, which is just like a shocking, a shocking thing to think about. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't slap something like this together, or any of the things he's written, in two weeks or whatever the fuck he said. Uh, normally, for any almost anybody. No. <laughs> so yeah, there is a kind of uh, innate kind of savant quality to him as a as a writer. I would yeah, say. yeah. But yeah, man. Is it time? It's time. Yeah, let me go. We don't usually announce we're going to go pee on the podcast, but I got to go pee. So No, we don't. Okay. Yeah. Give me. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll hum the song, but very slowly. So this is the fan favorite segment of the show we just did read another book we did we just did we just did we didn't even just did we just did a while ago and we just did a podcast about it <laughs> that's right we didn't just read a book we fucking talked about it we did do it that's important yeah so uh you can't hate on us for talking about harry potter which is what we're about to do Right, and that's so right. This is where we put all of the characters from the book we just read into Harry Potter houses. We already sing the song. Yep, we did the song, yeah. explained mm-hmm. what we're doing, and uh, now we're going to do the thing that we explained. And there's only, the you know, yes. Or no, that's for the gratings. So oh, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, go yeah. whenever you, you want. Whenever you want. Uh, let's do Nelly. Nelly, dude. Gryffindor? Slytherin? I'm saying Gryffindor. Uh, I don't know. A shoot, man. I, I'm gonna say Gryffindor as well. Or no, I'm gonna go Slytherin actually. I, I, yeah. I think it's like a positive, but like she's not. She's she is out for herself. She's not committed to any particular ideal, and she's definitely not doing anything. Uh, but she's not like ambitious. She just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, she doesn't I, give a fuck. I don't fuck. see her as Sil- Slytherin because she's not ambitious. I know, but, but like Griffin, she doesn't have like a. She's not trying to like save anybody or do anything noble or anything like a Gryffindor either. Right, unless you want to call fucking no. old guys noble. Right. <laughs> Helping <laughs> old guys like figure their life out by yeah, fucking them. doing them a flavor. She's horny French woman. And she's got hairy armpits. It's all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do what you want. I don't know. She's, I don't know. I think she's Slytherin. I, I, but like you know, positive Slytherin, I would say. Yeah, I think she's Slytherin too. But I think she's, I think she's fucking chill Slytherin. Yeah. Hmm. I think she's Gryffindor in her heart. Damn. Well, okay. Why? Right. Explain. Can you just explain a little bit? We don't have to. We don't have to harp on it. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, what Gryffindor qualities does she have? Well, she's not, like, I guess you're right that she isn't necessarily, like, fighting for the good in any way. But I think maybe the only example would be her telling the truth and asking the right direct questions, even in a sly way, to Emil. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't, like, you know, she fucks dudes and old guys, but she doesn't do it for, like, 
trying to climb some sort of status ladder. It, it, it doesn't seem like she's fucking in a Slytherin-type way. True. It is borderline an act of charity most of the time, it seems like. Yeah. She also, she also like, describes it as, like, it's she likes it. True. You know, she is just kind of pleasuring herself in a way. Yeah, but, you know, Hufflepuffs can pleasure themselves. They probably do <laughs> more often than the others. <laughs> but they'll think about whoever they're obsessed with. <laughs> I don't know. I think she's chill. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with chill Slytherin. Yeah. I'm still I'm sticking with Gryffindor. All right. Uh, I guess there's really only two others. We can talk about uh, Martin, Mrs. Martin. Can we? Not really. Not she really. was literally she's just a squib. A, she's a squib. Yeah. Yeah. She was a dirty bomb that Marguerite exploded into yeah. Emil's life. And then and then. Uh, she, at the end of the book, Marguerite writes uh, Emil a note that says, I kicked the harpy out. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing Marguerite, I just thought was such a, that, that gets back to what I'm saying, like, that's such a sign of affection, you know? Yeah. Just, like, I mean, acknowledging, like, like, we both agree, like, yeah, fuck this woman. I only brought her in because I thought it would hurt you, but she actually sucks. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's, she didn't say it out loud. She wrote it in a note. It, I, know, but, uh, I know, I know, I know. Right, in her insane, controlled environment, yeah. (laughs) Happiness on a, uh, what is it called? You're an academic game. Graded on a curve. It's happiness on a curve. curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. All right, uh, Marguerite. Hufflepuff. Yeah, just uh, demented Hufflepuff. Yeah. Why Hufflepuff? So goddamn loyal to the image and to her familial lineage. And to the tradition. Yeah, but isn't Slytherin all about tradition? But Slytherin, no. Slytherin is basically like return to tradition, white no. nationalism. No, 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 because Slytherin would be like, we'll sell our apartment block too for cash. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going the negative route, uh, I don't think so. Slytherin has the strong snake of Voldemort infesting their thought process and gearing them towards a uh, lineage mindset. I don't think... But in, in reality, think, they're more individualistic. Think, I don't she, think Slytherin would sell the house. I, I think Slytherin... It, I mean, maybe. But I think Slytherin would also, like... Okay, there's that famous image, have you guys ever seen this, of that mall that was built, like, around one guy's house who refused to sell his land? Oh, I haven't seen I've that. Seen okay, it. look it up. It's, it's, it's like a meme image. I don't even know if it's real. But um, to me, that's a little Slytherin. It's a little like, this is my fucking property. This is my fucking shit. I'm doing this on my terms. Uh, you know, suck my balls. Tradition. But the, but the Slytherin would be the one building the mall. I think it could be both. I think they could both be Slytherins. Because it's, call... it's about motivation. Well, she has no ambitious motivations whatsoever. She's uh, she reminds me of like a, an old washed up actress that like can't get roles anymore, and she's just like sad about how she's getting old. But like, old, wa- old, old washed life. up actresses were ambitious at one point. Okay, so a bad example. I mean, she did. She literally did nothing with her whole life. She was just like a. Like she maintained her family housewife. home. She did tradition. Tradition is Hufflepuffs. I mean. Yeah, so I read a little... Here's a little poem that the Sorting Hat says about Hufflepuff. Ooh, I like this. You might belong to Hufflepuff when they are, where they are just and loyal. 
Those patient huffle pups are true and unafraid of toil. I think that uh, she's unafraid of toil as I well. I feel like we should have uh, all the poems now. Yeah. All right, well, you fucking bring up the other poems. You do. The right you voice, have it his, his voice is kind of like, Yeah, it's Slytherin. All right, let me get Slytherin Oh, shit. All right. I'm going to, I don't know. I'm sticking, I think she's, I think she's Slytherin. Good Lord. That's the hardest disagree I've had. In the bad take. Podcast. Bad take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think she'd be, she's like a, she'd be rolled over in, in the Slytherin house. I don't know, dude. But it's all about her. She's obsessed. She's also obsessed with her family lineage and the bloodline. And that's so Slytherin. Like the Slytherins are all about like who was your dad, who was your grandfather, How, what's your what's your provenance? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I I do see your point, but I, I still think she's just like, you can just say that crops up to misguided loyalty. I mean, you could. Is, it's interpret. It's up to interpretation. I just think it's more straightforwardly Slytherin, right? Like, okay, are the Slytherins loyal to their bloodline? Yeah, they are. But does that make them Hufflepuffs? I don't think so. No. Um, you know what? Maybe she is Slytherin. Thank you. You guys are fucking off your rocker. Because the other thing is being prideful and having a lot of self-assurance. I think. Let's go. Uh, yeah. And those are considered the, uh, the five, like, and goal-oriented. Ah, I don't know. But She's then there's also, like, rule breaker, ambitious, judgmental, for I, sure. I know. That's why this is Self-confident, haughty. We gotta, find, we, gotta find, we gotta find a Harry Potter podcast to fucking school us on these fucking houses. Dude, no, it's crazy. J.K. Rowling on. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, she's... let's she's, not. <laughs> She's only got fucking half the qualities of a Slytherin. I'm going, I'm going Slytherin. Boom, done. Matt, final answer. Um, uh, uh, demented Hufflepuff. Paul, final answer. Strong Hufflepuff. All right. All right. Emil, our boy. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Easy clap, Hufflepuff. Easy, <laughs> easy clap, Hufflepuff. Yeah. The Hufflest of the puffs. Yeah. 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 Huffle cup. Huffle. Yeah. Yeah. He's not cucked. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. No. Yeah. He cucked. I think. Literally. Theo for yeah. a little bit. Well, I don't know. Was he having sex with Nelly? Nelly. Theo was alive. I don't remember. Yes, he was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he was. Huh? Didn't she cheat on him, too? Right? I wouldn't call yeah, it like, cheating. Well, that's what I'm saying. Nelly was the They bartender. had an open relationship, French. Who? Nelly and Theo? No, uh... Wait, Theo is his first wife, right? No, Theo is the bartender, the original oh. bar, yeah. Yeah, who is who, married who's to Nelly. Who's his first and wife? Angèle. Angèle. Yeah, I, I was saying that sh they had kind of an open marriage. Right. Yeah, sort kind of. of. Yeah. 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 It was like, don't ask, don't tell. Right. But he did confirmed, and she was like, I don't know. And, they and got he a was like, salty. Yeah, and he didn't like that because you know, <laughs> he couldn't dish it out. He, you know, he couldn't take it. All right. Score time. Dibs not first. Fuck. <laughs> got Shit. Him. All right. So that's me. Um, Everyone heard it. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. I enjoyed this novel very much. Uh, it's my third Simenon. He's written so many, so it's hard, you know, in the ratio of writings to, you know, what I've read. Uh, but, you know, not to belabor a point, but just like you guys were saying earlier, you know, uh, he's almost just got this, like, nonchalance about his writing that I find really, really easy to engage with and somehow, not somehow, but it, it also, I don't know, it, it contains a depth and I don't think it's just this, like, phantom depth of someone writing vaguely and then you project. I think Simonon has this uh, pretty unique ability to, like you said, evoke. And evoke is an active thing that somebody, an author with intention, does, uh, you know. Um, he makes you get on his level, and these and all these books are slim and somehow, like I've been experiencing for the past three books now, and now this one, it's like these small little books with an outsize, I would say, target to them, is is really been impressing me, and I really like it. Uh, all that being said, I think I'm going to give this book uh, probably a, like, 3.7. That's the uh, average rating on Goodreads. Is that true? Yeah. I swear to God I didn't. <laughs> that is so that. funny. I'm just your average fucking meaty part of the you're bell just, curve, you're motherfucker. Just, you're just yeah. basic, dude. Fuck, dude, fuck. Average muffin mat. Yeah, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> What are your core scores? And be honest. Okay, I know I'm gonna be honest. I mean, it. it um, so Simonon is my favorite writer. Period. Uh, I've read probably I haven't kept track, but thirty plus of his books, um, and uh, I, I. I'll be honest. It took me a while to like this book. I did not like it for the first 70 pages or so probably wow. um or i or i didn't i didn't love it it wasn't it wasn't what i you know expect or want when i go into a simonon novel it seemed like a bit of maybe just a sort of unpleasant grind about two people that hate each other yeah Only. yeah yeah but by the time i got to the end um i and some of the sort of more subtle themes started becoming clear about, you know, I mean, even stuff like the, 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 the small stuff about class politics or just his slow burning evocation of place and this neighborhood in Paris and like all of these things, it just fucking comes together. Um, like a lot of what he writes and, and I came away feeling that it was deeply true and relatable to both me personally and just like people, right? Like it's, it's just a good fucking book about bad relationships. Um, and there were some things towards the end that like specifically affected me when he moves out. My wife and I, shout outs to my wife, uh, who, <laughs> who I love very much. But, uh, you know, we broke our engagement and she moved out for a time years ago and it was mm. uh, a little longer than 11 days but not much and um, I feel like he captures so much of that experience so vividly and so 
just truthfully. Um, yeah. So it, 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 it won me over, but it, it, it did take a little while. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be kind of basic too. I'm right near where Matt's at. I'm like a 3.82 for me. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think my score is going to be a little bit higher than yours. I, I think that, uh, well, first of all, yeah, I, to regurgitate what you guys just said, like, it, I just feel like if you're a human being, you need to read Simonon. Um, he's just, he knows how to write. And I think most people can get something out of, out of his, out of his novels. But I, I, I think that, um, people in general should read this book if you're planning on being in a relationship or if you have been, or you want to be in, like, I just feel like it's a, almost like a, some sort of warning against how they can become and how not to act and uh, what to avoid, and it can deeply make you think about yourself, too. Uh, I just feel like it's very important, actually. I think it's like, it's like almost a must-read for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just don't think anyone can or has... I mean, I haven't read every single book, but he he wrote about the intimate nature of relationships and fighting and past aggressiveness so well that I related to so much um, that I think a lot of people can relate to. I just, I think it's very worth the read. Um, and it also hits upon all of the things that Simeon is so good at, like his writing comes through, obviously like can't not come through. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to give it a, uh, 4.3. Woo! Nice. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for the uh, special Patreon episode about Paul's relationship. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Stay tuned for the end of, till the end of time because it's never going to happen. <laughs> but stay yeah. tuned. Dude, dude, I just talked about how my wife and I broke our engagement, man. Come on. Expose yourself. Okay. I'm just Expose yourself. To the tune of Express Yourself. Yes, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that was The Cat by Georges Simenon. Yeah, oui, oui, oui. Thank Merci you for listening. For listening. Everybody, uh, merci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, news for everyone out there, we, we will be canceling our OnlyFans. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We Sad. support sex workers. Right. Yep. And also, they did and then did not ban sexually explicit content uh, we just can't deal with the, the ambiguity shit ever dude we, we, sh- we don't have to get into it but that was so stupid so if you liked this you'll probably like our twitter and instagram and facebook and fucking youtube channel so go there mm-hmm. subscribe follow like leave comments and if you really liked it which you must because you're still here at this point go to our patreon Patreon.com slash Spinecrackers. Drop us mm. a dollar even. A dollar. Everything, I don't everything know if that's helps. an option. I should put in a dollar option. Everything helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it's not, we'll, we'll make it one, I yeah. guess. Yeah, if it isn't, we'll make a dollar option. Yeah. For all you uh, dollar folks out there. We love you. Mm. All right. We can all right, mail boys. us a dollar in the mail, too. I'll give That's you true. Yeah. Patreon. Paul will give you his personal address. Personal address. You have to Not subscribe it. to the Patreon for $5 in order to get Paul's address <laughs> to send him a dollar. 
The only thing is, you have to. Well, you deliver can show it. up and give it handed to him, and that's what's well, funny. Yeah, you. Ha- really the thing is, you it. have to give it in person, and the my mailbox is my butt. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Hello. And that's OnlyFans as that's well. That's OnlyFans, so, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mail. Mail fans. OnlyFans. God, paper cut butthole. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Jesus. The fucking sludge metal like band. A, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a 17-year-old's Call of Duty handle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, well, we'll see you next week. What are we reading next week? Ooh, Thomas know. Bernard. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. We're staying positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. All right, everybody. And gals and whatever. Good night. Love you. Bye.